You are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is the second of three podcasts recorded as part of the Ames Film Fellowship and was recorded on the 23rd of June, 2023 at the Centre d'études maghrébines à Tunis. I'm Lena Kraus, Ames Resident Fellow, and in this podcast, I interview Professor Munir Khalifa about a short history of the Tunisian film industry. Munir, we are so glad to have you with us. You are the Ames History of Tunisian Film Fellow, and you've just finished four months of research on the history of the Tunisian cinema industry. Its birth, contours, growing pains, successes, and paradoxes, culminating in a report for a public audience. I learned so much from reading it, and I'm delighted to discuss some of your findings today. We've had you on the podcast twice before, but can you please briefly introduce yourself and perhaps tell us a bit about your relationship with Tunisian cinema before beginning this project? I'm a professor of English literature at Manuba University. I have taught classes on poetry and on literary theory most of my career. I'm retired now. I am a film buff, and in my younger days, I... uh, was responsible for the cine club in my village and uh, very active also in the Mailise cine club and I am I would call myself a cinephile. Do you remember some of the first films you showed at that cine club? I think I do, I do. There were mainly Italian neorealist movies, The Bicycle Thief, Le Voleur de Bicyclette de Vittorio De Sica or Roma Villa Aperta, the Rome Open City and um, I do recall also a um, I think my first Western movie, The Naked Spur, with Jimmy Stewart. What was interesting about the cine clubs, I think, was also the discussions afterwards with uh, youngsters and uh, how the film affected them and all that, those debates. Usually they started about the movie, the story, the acting, the actors, the glamour, if you like, and then they always branch out onto social phenomena and things that interest the kids like uh, love, large abstract notions of what is friendship, for example, in uh, the Nakespeare, what is relationship to nature, what is the relationship to the people we don't know, and so on. I'm actually really enjoying, can you paint us maybe a little picture of what it was like to go to the Tunisian cinema in the 70s, 80s, what kind of films they were showing, who went to the cinema? In those days, we as youngsters, and you know, youngsters usually love abstract and extreme positions, we distinguish between commercial cinema and film d'art et d'essai and d'auteur, and of course, as youngsters going to the lycée and educated, we prized the latter. Commercial cinemas usually were Egyptian romantic comedies, Type B westerns, peplum movies also, or thrillers, and film d'auteur, of course, were Italian neorealists or the French Nouvelle Vague, Godard, and so on. In those days, you would like to be seen in a film d'auteur simply to... If you invited a girl, for example, to a movie, you would take her to these to show that you are a man of the mind or uh, an intellectual. I love that. So one of our favorite questions during preliminary research that we talked about quite a lot was, what is Tunisian cinema? And maybe instead of posing you that question directly, I'd like to ask you specifically in terms of your methodology, 
and how you approached this project. So which aspects of cinema as art or industry did you focus on? And how did you consider Tunisian cinema in different periods? For example, the protectorate, independence, and now. Right. I think by Tunisian cinema and Tunisian being highlighted, there is, if you like, a judiciary definition proposed by the 2001 legislation, which is any film or movie or picture directed by a Tunisian national and involving Tunisian actors, screenwriters, musicians. And it does not mention that it talks about Tunisian reality or Tunisian way of life or Tunisian setting or Tunisian society, but that was, I think, assumed. There is another definition, I think, involving the production. Most of the movies, as of the mid-70s, became co-produced, and mainly in, in, in the mid-80s and 90s. Now, that poses a slight definitional issue, because a movie, for example, that is Franco-Tunisian, if it is shown in a French festival, it will be shown as a French movie. If it was shown in the JCC, for example, Tunisian Cinematographie, it will be regarded as Tunisian. But in my report, I stuck to the, again, the legal definition, which is a movie that is directed by a Tunisian and involving Tunisian crew. And you mentioned that you chose 1956 as a year to mark sort of the beginning of cinema in some ways. Can you talk to us about that date? Right. 1956, of course, was the year Tunisia got its independence from France. And I think one of the earliest political decisions was to create a new government, of course. And within the Secretariat of State for Cultural Affairs and Information, a service or a directorate for cinema was embedded. Its role was mainly then to oversee the production of documentaries, explain the government's policies, make shorts that are shown in schools. Again, more or less of propaganda for the newly independent national state. 1956, I think the rift within the ruling party there, then between the Yusufis and the Burgabis was still vivid. And I think it, the government was very eager to turn that leaf and show national unity. I think the slogan then was one nation. One government. We are all behind the slogan or the political project of uh, modernizing the country and a, a unified country was all the time spelled more or less in those documentaries, which were shown as a prequel to any feature length movies in the cinemas. There was no television yet. Television will appear in 1966. And then television will take over that if you like, proselytizing propagandist documentaries on behalf of the government. But until then, they were shown before each feature-length movie. So then which were the first films that broke out of that mold and were commercial or narrative or fiction? The first one, of course, all the historians agree, is Al-Fajr, The Dawn, by uh, Omar Khalifi. It was shot completely in 1966, but shown to the public in 67. It was still in that spirit, though. It was about national struggle. It's still within the large historical narrative of national independence. 
and one nation going towards emancipation. The story of three friends. They all have different trajectories, but they all unite that this is the new Tunisia. So then was there a heyday, can we say, of Tunisian cinema? And what sort of characterized some of those films? Um, it took a while for the heyday of cinema, if you like, the uh, prodigious decade. Again, most of the critics, and I totally agree with them, think that it began with Nouri Bouzid, The Man of Ashes, and probably ended either 10 years later, 1994, with Le Silence des Palais, the movie that lately, or some extend that glorious period, another 10 years with Monster of the Weeps, the TV is coming. So but I think, let's say, mid-80s to about the mid-90s, there was a number of absolutely excellent Tunisian movies that no longer talked about national independence, the glory of a nation marching towards progress and development and so on, but rather talking about social issue, talking also about identity issues, treating themes that have to do with a living society indeed, issues such as women, emancipation, migration, homosexuality, child abuse, father repression, also small communities living in Tunisian society, Jews, and so on and so forth. It, thematically, they were very rich and varied, and they addressed, I think, social problems and issues and phenomena more directly than before. Thank you so much. I also want to talk a little bit about filmmakers' relationship with the state. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit at various moments in history? It is a very vexed relationship. That's, I think, really the crux of the matter of the Tunisian film industry. If one understands that, I wouldn't call it tug of war, but very conflictual relations, really from independence, by placing filmmaking and filmmakers dependent on state and public subsidies, I think filmmakers somewhat have been beholden to the state in a very complex manner. On the one hand, as anyone involved in creative imagination work, they are independent. But at the same time, they know that movies also require funding to be made. This is the famous André Malraux definition that cinema is both an art and an industry. They are artists, but to make their movies, they have to call upon the structures of an industry, hence finance and funding. And the state is the major purveyor. Hence, this troubled and vexed relationship. Filmmakers like to be subsidized, and the state creates a commission whereby it can filter and select the movies that it wants to subsidize. So filmmakers, when you talk with a number of them, they all feel a little embarrassed, but at the same time wary about this relationship. But at the same time, they are all very reluctant to let go of it. More often than not, the funding, the production financing begins with a kitty, and that is the state funding. And with that, the filmmaker or the director or the producer goes to other financiers and say, well, look, I already have the kitty, which means that my scenario is good, is worth shooting. 
And usually that begins a process of montage financier. So to come back to your question, that relationship, I can only describe it as it's complex. It's a double bind. The state needs movie makers for their cultural politics and movie makers need the state for public funding. And that area in which there are often created misunderstandings and tensions and conflicts. So in terms of funding, which has a huge impact on cinema, and you talked about co-productions earlier, maybe not just in terms of funding, but even generally, what has Tunisia's film industry's relationship been with Europe, with Africa, with the larger Arab world, or even globally? I think by the mid-80s, and especially by the early 90s when Satpec was let go of by the state. Satpec is, as you know, the main producer and purveyor and distributor of films created immediately after independence to supervise national film industry. So with Satpec demise in 1992, Tunisian producers began to look for foreign co-productions. But that relationship has not always been easy. And in many ways, it did help in that glorious decade between mid-80s and mid-90s, the making of all these brilliant, extraordinarily excellent movies like The Man of Ashes, uh, Le Silence des Palais, and so on. But at the same time, also, foreign producers, whether they be TV networks or private producers, also have their own agendas and likes and dislikes. And more often than not, probably they exerted a discreet pressure on Tunisian movie makers to skew their stories or their narrative or their themes towards things that may be resonant with European audiences. There was the criticism, I think a little bit exaggerated, that many of the movies included in a factitious way, in an artificial way, scenes of anthropological nature, you know, wedding scenes or circumcision scenes, things just to please for an audience, or that the director highlighted a little bit too much women emancipation, the good Muslim and the terrorist, uh, and so on and so forth. And there were actually, at least I have heard of two cases in which Tunisian filmmakers said to their European producer, no, at this cost, I'm not taking your money. And I think the names may have been Nouri Bouzid and uh, Nasser Khmir admittedly also refused foreign funding for this reason. I said, I'm not going to yield to your diktat. And then, of course, JCC, the Journée Cinématographique de Carthage, and FIFAC, and other initiatives, even more recent, have had a view toward Africa in other ways. Can you talk a little bit about those missions? Excellent. The GCC began uh, first as an international festival in 1966. But in 1968, in its second edition, it's a two-year festival. It took more a dimension for Arab cinema and African cinema. And it was to happen in alternation with Wagadagudu. One year, Carthage. The other year, Wagadagudu. And it is probably interesting to talk about this festival in connection with the man behind it, Tarshria, whom many people regard as the founding father of modern, at least post-independent Tunisian cinema. 
It was his idea. The political, international political background was very recipient to this. It was then Africa was independent. Many countries and colonies in Asia also got their independence. And the general international mood was for thirdism, if you like, third worldism, and for the assertion of national identities that have been spoiled or, or repressed by imperialist powers. So audiences in these newly post-colonial countries were very eager to see a national cinema. And hence the extraordinary success, I think, of the GCC in those days. And uh, the idea was appealing to large and large filmmakers from, if you like, the post-independent South. So was FIFAC. FIFAC stands for Festival International de Film de Calibia. Calibia is a beautiful town in Cape Bon. And every other summer, the festival was held, but for amateur films, and usually shorts. It was also to be in alternation with the GCC. I think FIFAC, in many ways, will be the cradle of aspiring Tunisian filmmakers. Typically, the itinerary of Tunisian filmmaker would be attending a local cine club, liking the genre or the um, activity, purchasing a camera or borrowing the cine club's camera and shooting their first shot to be shown in FIFAC. This is really the first step of Tunisian filmmakers and this is applicable virtually to every filmmaker until 2010. They've all gone through the cine club et le club amateur. There were probably around 30 in the 60s and 70s. The number now has, I think, uh, declined to about 18, as we are talking now. So FIFAC and the GCC were really the platforms for Arab and African amateur non-commercial cinema. This is how I think uh, they performed in the film industry. Amazing. So I want to conclude with a question because you came into this project with so much prior knowledge about cinema. So I need to ask, what did you learn that surprised you? That's a tricky question. What surprised me is the inventiveness of Tunisian filmmakers. I think in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, they were working under, I think, enormous pressure. And the pressure is not always uh, lack of funds, which is depressing in and by itself, but also censorship, not always manifest censorship or crass, but very discreet through the funding and commission, for example. But at the same time, let's call a spade a spade, an extremely small film market. You know, on the eve of independence, there were about 95 movie houses. By the 90s, there were only 50. And today, there are probably 20. So these are incredible handicaps. And yet, despite this, despite all of this, lack of funds, small market, sometimes an authoritarian or oppressive or very present state, they managed to make great masterpieces, I think. And I really can name four or five that really stand out as outstanding works of art. This is what I think struck me. 
thank you so much, Munir, for joining us on the podcast today. And um, we certainly learned a lot from your research. Thank you, Lina. Thank you for listening to Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagribpodcast.com, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, visit our Facebook page, Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts. Subscribe to the CIMAT newsletter at www.cimatmagreb.org, or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode.